welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Taylor Swift blasts Netflix to her 88 million Twitter followers, Ilaria and Alec Baldwin's big baby mystery, the Married at First Sight hotness ranking challenge that made the reality show's experts look more like evil masterminds, and life through the eyes of Billie Eilish. How the teen star's rise to the top has been so different from those who went before her. But first, Zara McDonald, how was your week? Good week. I tell you what I started doing. I was a bit late to the bandwagon of watching Alan versus Pharaoh. This is this the week. most Zara McDonald recommendation You said this to ever. me before and I was like, I don't know what that means. But I will just take it as a compliment because I don't know which way you mean it at all. <laughs> but for those who haven't seen this around, this Alan versus Pharaoh documentary has been on Fox for the last couple of weeks. They're dropping one episode every week. So there's only two episodes out at the moment. It's a four-part series. And I had seen a lot of commentary around about the story, which is, of course, about the sexual abuse allegations levelled at Woody Allen from his daughter, Dylan. We've spoken about Woody Allen on the podcast before, Mish, and we've spoken about his book last year, whether he should be platformed, but we've also spoken about how this seems to be the story that sort of passed Hollywood by a bit. Yeah. The reason I said this is such a you recommendation is because you have taken such a keen interest in not just Dylan Farrow and Woody Allen, but also Ronan Farrow. Actually, so and you love that book. No, no, and you spoke so about that in every episode, maybe in 2018, I can't 2019. Believe I didn't even make that connection myself, but I, I do love Ronan Farrow's work. So a bit more context about it. The reason I say I think that it passed Hollywood by is because Dylan Farrow has been making allegations about her dad for years. Mm. And it wasn't until maybe the Me Too movement hit in 2018 that people started looking at it a bit differently, thinking that we have demonised this young girl for almost decades and we haven't really taken anything seriously. Woody Allen is still celebrated hugely. And as you just mentioned, Mish, Dylan's brother is Ronan Farrow, one of my <laughs> One True Loves, who does incredible work in journalism. So I've watched the first two episodes. It's pretty harrowing. It's pretty harrowing. It's not an easy watch, but I think a really important watch to see how misinformation has been spread so far and wide about this case in particular, yeah. about how the media has discredited her for so long, because it's pretty it's pretty tragic to see. Yeah, I've got to say, over the break, I actually watched a Woody Allen film, and I felt <laughs> quite conflicted about doing it, but I'd never seen a Woody Allen film before, and I was kind of like sitting with a group of friends, they wanted to put it on, and I was just like, cool, let's have a watch. He's so creepy even back in the 1970s and 1980s. Like the jokes he was cracking then were often about teenage girls. And I think as well when you bring his relationship with his adopted daughter, Sunni Previn, into yeah. the fold, it's really difficult to even speak about or to be unbiased or try and be objective when it comes to Woody Allen because I just find him to be so creepy and so disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like one of those things where you have episode after episode back to back with all of these people speaking on the same thing, you kind of listen to it and be like, how is there ever an alternate narrative about yeah. this? I mean, of course, allegedly, reportedly, I mean, this still hasn't been proven in a court of law, but there is very much a case for what Dylan is saying and it's hard to watch, but I would absolutely recommend watching it. I watch it on Foxtel now, mm. which is a pretty good subscription. I feel like a lot of my past recommendations have been on there. So if you don't have it, I would recommend that platform too. You do love Foxtel. What a great Zara McDonald recommendation. Thank you. All of your favourite things. I didn't say anything about about my week. I just quickly bypassed that question anyway, straight into my recommendation, pretending that, you know, that was my whole week. But anyway, how was your week? It was 
good. I hosted my sister's joint 30th and hen's party on the weekend. And it was only like a day before the actual event that I realized Claire was very strategic and be like, it's also my 30th yes. that day. So I could just <laughs> take all of it. But it was a good day. I had never hosted. Any- Have you ever hosted something like that? No. And hearing you host 27 people makes me realize exactly why my mom hates Christmas so much. Yeah. Producer Annabelle, have you ever hosted an event? Oh, God, no. That stuff stresses me out. Even hosting birthdays stresses me out. I feel sorry for anyone who conversed with me in the 24 hours before I began hosting because I was such a stress head. And now I have such respect for anyone who puts on events in any capacity, in any format. And the entire time, I'm like, how do people enjoy this? Like, totally happy everyone's at my house, totally happy they seem to be having a good time. But I'm stressing about every little thing that shouldn't even matter. So no more hens organising for you? Not for a while. I think I'm going to retire. I've gone one from one. It went pretty well and I'm willing to like raise my bat or is it hang up my boots? What's the sporting analogy? Um, that Metaphor analogy? I think both of those. <laughs> I think both of those. Raising my bat. <laughs> Raising my bat, hanging up my Isn't boots and I'm lying down. Runs? Yeah, I've hit a century. Yeah, there you go. You're Congratulations. Done. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know how we got here. Do you have a recommendation this week? I do. Look, an odd recommendation from me. I don't think I've ever recommended a piece of clothing in my life on this podcast. However, it is the sisterhood of the travelling jeans and the Shameless office. So last week, our partnerships director at Shameless, Rhiannon, walked into the office holding a Zara package. She unwrapped it in front of me and pulled out this pair of high-waisted denim jeans. And holy shit, they're the best jeans I've ever seen in my life. We work in a female office, so we're all like, you must immediately put these jeans on and show us because that is the shameless office rule. She came in and they looked incredible. Our other staff member, Ruby, then tried them on. They looked incredible (laughs) on Ruby. I then tried them on and they looked incredible on me. Like, I will absolutely put my hand up and say they're just the best jeans ever. I will say long-legged privilege here for any short girls listening. You will hate (laughs) these jeans and therefore it is my responsibility (laughs) in the next few weeks to find a short-legged pair of jeans that suit more people. Do you believe that though? Because Annabelle's seen the jeans. They've got a rough hem, so you can just cut them if they're too long. Nah, you know what suits you. You know what suits you. And I think this style of jeans, I mean, Michelle, we'll put the link in our show notes. Short <laughs> Girls with shorter legs will look at these and be like, oh yeah, no, like <laughs> Zara's right. Like that's not a thing. So it's not exactly the sisterhood of the traveling jeans, but if you like these jeans, buy them because a lot of people do like them. They're also like the antithesis to skinny jeans. I'm off skinny jeans now, never going oh, back. Oh, you and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so fashion board of you. <laughs> They're wide-legged, which is very comfy and very on-trend apparently. So the name, if you want to Google them right now or just head to our show notes, is ZW Premium 90s Full-Length Serenity Blue Jeans. They cost like $69.95, which is marketing spin, 70 bucks, and it's just the best. Zara are good at putting a fuck title on their clothing. <laughs> I can never find anything that I want to look for again because of their stupid titles of the things. But anyway, good recommendation. I appreciate that. Before we jump into the first segment of today's show, Michelle, we do have a clarification. And when I say a clarification, we got about 20 voicemails from meteorologists around the country about my TikTok fact, (laughs) which I said I learned last week on TikTok that if the weatherman or the weatherwoman said 30% chance of rain, it didn't mean 30% chance of rain. And all the meteorologists called in and said, hey, it does mean 30% chance of rain, except also X, Y, and Z. And there are all these equations to work it out. So here is our voicemail from this week. 
Hi guys, it's Melina Saris here from 7 News in Melbourne. I'm a news reporter and weather presenter. I just wanted to clear up the rainfall forecast confusion thanks to TikTok. The percentage given for rainfall is basically the Weather Bureau's confidence in whether or not it will rain. So if it says 30%, it means there's a 30% chance of any rainfall in that location on that given day. So if it's a 90% chance, definitely pack an umbrella. Hope that helps. Melina Saris, first of all, brilliant news voice, like made to host the news, Melina Saris. Thank you for calling in our hotline. I've got to say, I think you're wrong, Zara. Like, I think the consensus oh, hold is on. TikTok you're not was right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and it has made me worried for the amount of misinformation that I've just like absorbed from TikTok in the past. <laughs> I was a little bit wrong, but there were many other voicemails that said it's basically just 30% of rain. Yes, there are a million other kind of equations that we do beyond that 30%, but it got too confusing for me. So I'm just going to come on the mic here and say, the stat doesn't matter that much. Either it's going to rain or it's going to not. And just look out for yourself out there. This reminds me of when you said that you just exit competitions when you think you've won. You're just like not even going to accept the L or the loss for this. You're just like, I don't know, guys, figure it out. Yeah. And I've also done the real gaslighting thing of being like, but it doesn't even fucking matter. Yeah, like, who cares? Why do you care so much? <laughs> Why are you guys so weird about this? You're just obsessed. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into our first proper conversation of the show, Mish, because we are starting with Taylor Swift. We are starting with Taylor Swift because this week she tweeted out something a little bit fiery to her 88 million Twitter followers. So her tweet read, Hey, Ginny and Georgia, 2010 called and it wants its lazy, deeply sexist joke back. How about we stop degrading hardworking women by defining this horseshit as funny? Also, at Netflix, after Miss Americana, this outfit doesn't look cute on you. Happy Women's History Month, I guess. Now, this was all in response to a Netflix show called Ginny and Georgia, which I have never watched in my entire life, having a line of dialogue between two characters that read, what do you care? You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. Really interesting story, this one. I mean, I'm the same as you, Mish. I hadn't heard of Ginny and Georgia at all, but apparently it's a pretty highly rated Netflix show in their trending section, which <laughs> of course, as per my past hypothesis, I think that Netflix just popped them there because they want us to watch them. But I hadn't heard of this show. So if you haven't heard of this show, that is okay. It was released on Netflix on Feb 24. So it's only been alive for about a week. It follows a mother and daughter as they settle into life in a new town. Understandably, after Taylor Swift tweeted this, the landing page for their Google reviews and Rotten Tomatoes have been targeted by Swifties, I guess that's what we call them, (laughs) going hard and saying that they shouldn't have made this joke. What's been really interesting about this conversation, Mish, is that it has been such a big conversation. Yeah. Like I thought that when I saw the tweet, it was going to be a pretty self-explanatory fallout that, oh, yeah, that's a pretty shit joke. Netflix apologised. That's the end of it. But it didn't really work out like that. Yeah, you're right, Zara. So we even had a listener reach out to us. I hadn't seen this on Twitter and a listener DM'd us on Instagram only a couple of hours after Taylor Swift tweeted. This listener wrote, I think you guys should discuss T-Swift's latest tweet about the line from Ginny and Georgia. She continued, we definitely need to talk about how much of an impact Taylor Swift has in terms of her stands because apparently the actress is getting harassed and the show is being cancelled over one line. All celebrities know the power of their stands now and publicly doing this is giving those stands permission to harass. I've got to say, when I saw this, I was like, oh God, what's happened? Like, did Taylor Swift 
tag the actress who said that line in the show? Like, has she sent people after this 23-year-old Antonia Gentry? I moved over to Twitter. I saw Taylor Swift's tweet. I saw that she had just tagged Netflix and nobody else involved, not even like the writers or the directors behind Ginny and Georgia. And I've got to say, I disagree with that shameless listener. I disagree that Taylor Swift should have to take accountability for what people do off the back of what I deem to be a very fair, very articulate tweet about sexism and misogyny in pop culture. If you're being slut-shamed on a Netflix show... It is absolutely your right to call that shit out. Do we expect Taylor Swift to be quiet while being slut-shamed simply because some dickheads on the internet might get the wrong idea and misbehave? It's not her responsibility to control 88 million people. I agree with most of what you're saying. Like, I agree with 90% of it. I do think that there's a level of fame that Taylor Swift has where if they are going too far, she has to put out a subsequent tweet that says, I've made my point, but stop harassing X. If someone is being harassed to that level, I think having accountability to that level is kind of important. But generally, I agree with you. Like, I'm not sure what message this is sending, saying that Taylor Swift shouldn't be calling this stuff out because it's annoying or a waste of time. There was a really weird article in Slate. I don't know if you saw this, Mish that had the headline, Taylor Swift's pretty dumb sexism accusations against a pretty dumb Netflix show. (sighs) That was written by Heather Schwedel. The article went on to say, big whoop, right? Calling this joke deeply sexist is verging on ludicrous. Deeply sexist to say that Swift famously had a lot of boyfriends. It's a strange hill for her to die on, especially given how Swift herself has made her personal life a major theme in her music throughout her career. What the fuck? I mean, I've got a few issues with this. Firstly, I'm not sure you can be telling women when a joke is made about them that they're taking something too seriously. Like, I'm not sure you can then say that is ludicrous for you to be calling that deeply sexist. Like, it just feels incredibly reductive and incredibly backwards when we're having conversations, like I said, trying to encourage women to stand up for themselves. I mean, I don't think anyone here would say we're fighting the huge big battles. I mean, it also might have been a stretch for her to put on the Women's History Month thing at Yeah, the end. I agree. I think yeah. that was over stated and okay. that did yeah. make me cringe a little bit. Yes. yes. Okay, good. So we're all on the same page. I think Swift herself would say here, this is not the biggest issue in the world. But I'm confused about this sentiment that she should shut up. I think because people find her annoying. Like, I'm interested that no one here is recognising their internalised misogyny as to why they don't want her to have an opinion on this. Yeah, you cannot extricate the deeply entrenched slut shaming that is in this joke. You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. Don't try and tell me, oh, she's profited off her private life. She deserves for people to make jokes like this. No one deserves to be slut shamed on a Netflix drama. Like, absolutely get fucked. I'm just so over this idea that she's whining about something that isn't important. It's important to her and her name is being dragged through a really slut-shamey, anti-feminist message. Do I agree that people should go target Antonia Gentry? Absolutely not. I think anyone who does that is a bit of an idiot as well. Like, that actress... clearly had no power here. Yeah. Like, we're not thinking straight about this. I think the other thing that really gets me is this idea of, like, well, she had a lot of boyfriends. Like, it's a strange hill for her to die on. 
it's like a lot of people have had a lot of partners. The point of the matter is that Taylor Swift is always the one that we've made jokes about. Like, yes, we make sly comments about Leonardo DiCaprio, but he has also extensively dated 20-year-olds for 30 years. Where's Leo's joke? He's done it far more. But I also think it's not just like her standing up here saying, I'm fighting for me right now. I also think it's a really important conversation for young women to be hearing and young women to be seeing an example where someone's saying, I don't like that joke about me. I'm going to turn around and say I don't like it rather than swallow it and absorb it because that's what appears more likable. It's the gentler version of saying Taylor Swift opens her legs a lot. Like, sorry, it's the gentler, more PC version of that and it's just not on. I also think like it should even be irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many people you sleep with, how many people you date, who cares, honestly. But she's dated eight or nine famous men in 13 years and we're talking about her in a way that she has, I don't know, jumped around from guy to guy within two-day intervals, which I don't even care if that's the case, but it's not even the truth. Like, there's just so much about this that annoys me. I'm annoyed at the people who went and attacked Antonia Gentry as if she controls her own lines in a Netflix special. I'm annoyed at the people who are saying Taylor Swift can't speak out about this. It just feels like we flatten these conversations to the point that we void them of all nuance and all complications. And just quickly circling back to that point from the message that we got from a listener saying, you know, Taylor should recognise the power she has when it comes to her stands. We've spoken about what artists need to do when it comes to their stands. And it's got so much more to do with like silly little tiffs that blow up online rather than the legitimate taking back of power, which is what Taylor's doing. Yeah. And if Taylor had ever tagged Antonia in this tweet, or if she had gone after individual people, I would absolutely be in the brigade that said that's not cool and that's not fair and the pendulum has swung too far. She tagged Netflix. (laughs) Netflix will be fine. Coming up after the break, the Married at First Sight Hot or Not Challenge. And then, not even Billie Eilish can escape the teenage experience of dating a mediocre guy. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Lots going on this week. Michelle, (laughs) Elizabeth, fine-footed Andrews, talk to me about what you've got. I'm nervous about this one. All right, my first story. Ilaria and Alec Baldwin welcome their sixth Baldwinito. That is from Vulture. Somehow we are back talking about Ilaria, who is not a Spaniard, in case you missed our first episode of the year. Zara, Ilaria and her husband, Alec, have welcomed their second child in five months. Yes. So if your brain is doing some little hula hoops in there or some little (laughs) jumping around trying to work out the maths, it's because it doesn't quite add up. No. So what has happened is in September last year, they gave birth to Eduardo Pau Lucas. This was obviously before it was revealed that she's, (laughs) oh my God, how's that snot before she wasn't Spanish. So I just love that all the kid names are super Spanish. And so he was born in September, 2020. As we said, somewhat inexplicably, a new baby just turned up in a family photo on Ilaria's page. So Ilaria uploaded, I don't know if you saw this photo, Annabelle, but she basically uploaded a photo of all her kids lying in bed with her and she had the caption seven, obviously pointing to the fact that there now are six children in this bed plus Ilaria equals seven. Thanks for the quick maths, Zara. <laughs> anyway, there's now two full-size babies there that look... They, like, look exactly the same age. So everyone got really... Oh, my God. Everyone got hyperbole. One looks about five months and the other looks like a newborn. Okay, well, how are we actually defining full-size baby? Because I would say full-size baby refers to age zero through to 
six months. Good luck to all women if that five-month-old is the average size of a newborn baby. (laughs) There is a slight discrepancy in size, but even still they look like the same age. And so everyone was a bit confused, being like, they've clearly had another baby, but their other baby was only born five months ago. In a separate post a day later, so it took them a day to acknowledge this, Ilaria wrote on Instagram under a photo of just the new baby, we are so in love with our daughter Lucia, just like your brothers and sisters, you are a dream come true. Now, obviously at this stage, conversations were whether the baby was born via surrogate Mm. or whether the baby was adopted. Sources are pointing to surrogate, but Alec and Hilaria aren't acknowledging either way. So science obviously says and dictates that Hilaria couldn't possibly have given birth (laughs) to this baby. Yes. So as I said, sources are pointing to the surrogate, but some weird stuff going on around this story anyway, Mish. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously people are asking questions about how this baby came to be, particularly given that when Hilaria spoke to People magazine back in November, before the Is She Spanish, Is She American drama unfolded, she did say, during times of COVID, it very much feels like we're done when it comes to expanding their family. Everybody's asking me this question. I don't know. I've said in the past that I was done when I wasn't done. I think for right now, I'm so tired. And I feel, just with COVID, it's just insanity. If that interview was given in November, there's absolutely no shadow of a doubt that any surrogate mother that Alaria and Alec had organised would have been pregnant, quite substantially pregnant, with Lucia. And yet we're here in March and she's saying that she's got this new baby And that doesn't really add up at all with that quote. (laughs) It's super confusing. It's super confusing. And the reason that we're saying it's pointing to a surrogate at this point is because that's what sources are telling people and people usually have the tightest sources of all the tabloids. The other reason that people think it's a surrogate, this is a little bit looser, but please allow me. (laughs) Page six ran this headline this week. Alaria Baldwin, who welcomed baby number six, follows surrogacy company on Instagram. So... Fans on social media noticed that Alaria follows a surrogacy agency that has offices in New York. Coincidentally, that company congratulated one of their intended parents in a now-deleted post on the amazing birth of their daughter just days before Alec and Alaria shared the first photo of baby Lucia. Right. Bit more of a stretch. I will put my hand up and say that. Why would she lie to people, Mag? Like, why would you say, I'm done in COVID, it would be insanity adding a sixth child into the mix if this woman's already pregnant with your baby? Like, so much about Alaria. Alaria and Alec Baldwin doesn't add up. The maths is completely batshit crazy. Is there any part of this where perhaps she was sensing that people were sniffing and she wanted to keep it private so she threw people off the scent? Maybe, but I've got to say I know this might be a controversial remark to make but I do find it a little bit odd. Like I find it strange that you would be pregnant with a baby and also have a surrogate pregnant with your baby at the same time. And if it wasn't a surrogate and they did adopt... I've got to say I find the timing of this a little bit odd again. Like we know that these two have been in the headlines for quite damning, quite murky reasons as far as faking your heritage and faking your nationality. I don't know. As soon as I saw this, if I'm being honest with all the listeners, I did raise an eyebrow and I did kind of grimace a bit. Like it's got an icky feeling. And I know that the most important thing in the world is that children are loved by their parents. and There's no doubt that this child will be loved by Ilaria and Alec. 
but I find it odd. Well, I think the story is just odd. Like, yes, it's great that the baby is going to be loved and I have no doubt about that. It's great that the baby is healthy. I mean, if someone wants to be pregnant and have a surrogate separately, like I I don't necessarily find that any of my business. I find the secrecy around it a bit weirder because I think, yes, you could argue that celebrities don't owe us anything, but there is an element of I feel like I'm being clickbaited here a little bit. Like I feel like I'm being played a little bit. These are people that put every detail of their lives in the public eye and suddenly now it's a bit offensive that we're asking questions about how this baby came to be. Like Alec Baldwin is getting a bit fired up at people that are asking questions. And I, like I said, do feel a bit clickbaited about it. I feel like they're trying to lead us down a garden path. And that's what I find a bit weird about the whole thing. Well, there's every possibility that this baby story becomes the big story that Alec and Hilaria Baldwin are now known for. And there's a big possibility that that will wash away the fake Spanish heritage headlines we saw at the beginning of the year. Perhaps. My second story, Lady Gaga's dog walker, Ryan Fisher, thanks the pop star after being shot by kidnappers in Los Angeles. I don't know where that's from, Zara. That's your fault. You didn't copy and paste the publication in. (laughs) How about I just do a live copy and paste now? I'm sure it's from someone very reputable. Of course, it's just from the ABC. Oh, the ABC. Our public broadcaster. For those who missed it, and I doubt you missed the headlines because this was everywhere last week. Last week, Lady Gaga's dog walker was shot several times by kidnappers or dog nappers or whatever we want to call them while he was out working the dogs. Lady Gaga is actually in Rome at the moment filming a film. (laughs) (laughs) I actually... Very detailed, very researched. (laughs) Yeah, what's what's the film about? (laughs) Filming a film. And (laughs) it should be noted before we move on that he is okay. Ryan Fisher is okay. He's in hospital. He survived. Two of the three French bulldogs named Koji and Gustave were dognapped. Her third dog, Asia, actually ran away in time. <gasps> Go, Asia. Well, Hear of the story. On Instagram, Ryan wrote, four days ago while a car sped away and blood poured from a gunshot wound, an angel trotted over and laid next to me. My panic scream calmed as I looked at her, even though it registered that the blood pooling around her tiny body was my own. I cradled Asia the best I could, thanked her for all the incredible adventures we'd been on together and apologised that I couldn't defend her brothers. Oh, Pretty heartbreaking quote. And this is not, I, I'm not a dog lover, but I was moved by this. I'm a huge dog lover and that just tore my heart out. Lady Gaga did put out a $500,000 reward for the dogs to be returned. And she said, if you bring my dogs back to me, I will not ask questions. You will get the money. I just desperately want Koji and Gustav back. An unidentified woman did return the dogs and TMZ is reporting that she's not connected to Everyone's the incident. Everyone's reporting that. I actually don't think she is connected to the incident. Like all signs are pointing to the fact that she wasn't. She found them tied on a pole in an alleyway pretty far from where they were stolen. And that's what's weirder about this to me because I think some people when the dogs were stolen, some people speculated that perhaps the dog nappers knew that they were Lady Gaga's dogs, mm. knew that she would put up a reward and would get the money back. But other law enforcement sources in the US are saying that perhaps the dog nappers didn't actually know that they were Lady Gaga's dogs. These French bulldogs are actually just worth heaps if they wanted to sell them on. So it's it's all really odd. The dogs are back. The dogs are safe. It's all still being investigated and Ryan Fisher is in hospital recovering. So a relatively happy ending for what is a quite a harrowing story. Yeah. Imagine being that woman who not only stumbled upon the dogs and saved the day in that way, but pockets half a million dollars and meets Lady Gaga. <laughs> and if she's innocent, fucking good on her. Oh, like, that's what a queen. Life, that is life changing for a woman who's just walking down an alleyway. Write a book, please, that yeah. woman. Uh, it would be about three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I saved the dogs. Yeah. I found them strapped to a pole. All right. My third story, Jessica Stein's industry colleagues concerned for influencers' well-being. That is the Daily Telegraph. 
This is an interesting story, Mish, that's kind of been around for a little bit. I feel like whispers about this have been going around for a little bit. But for those who aren't across it, Jessica Stein is known most commonly as Tula Vintage. She was one of the first influencers I ever actually followed on Instagram. She has 2.2 million followers and is widely regarded as one of the original influencers. Like when influencer events internationally started to be a thing, particularly with Revolve, I feel like Revolve were really spearheading this. She was very much at the forefront of it all. She's worked with the likes of Zimmerman and Land Rover and her Instagram page, which she started in 2010, fell silent a year ago. Yeah, a really sad story behind this one. She gave birth to her daughter, who is high needs due to a rare chromosomal disorder in 2010. 2017. So we had heard a lot about Jessica Stein's life and in particular the difficulties that can come with raising a child with a chronic illness or a chronic disability. So we had known that things in Jessica Stein's life had been really challenging but also really life-affirming for her for quite a number of years. And then last year she just went completely silent. It has taken the last 12 months for her followers to really, I guess, create this groundswell of concern about where Jessica Stein has gone and if everything's okay between Jessica, her partner and their daughter, Rumi. We don't have the answers. It's difficult to talk about because there's every likelihood that Jessica Stein just doesn't want to be in the public eye right now and that she doesn't feel like she's ready to share whatever's been going on. Yeah, and I think if you've followed her for the last sort of couple of years, after she gave birth to Rumi, she posted a GoFundMe asking for help for some medical expenses because it was just getting ridiculously expensive. You will know, I think that she started to definitely pull back from social media. Mm. I think if nothing else, this would be a huge perspective shift thing when you've got a kid who needs you in the way that her daughter needed her parents. It would just teach you a lot about what you want and what you want to be sharing with the world. But yeah, I think a lot of people have been invested in her story for a very, very long time, be it fashion and then parenting Mm -hmm. and are now naturally turning around saying, I hope she's okay. And I also hope that she doesn't hear these whisperings or murmurings and feels any pressure before she's ready to come public and say, hey, I'm here, I'm okay, or hey, I'm here, I'm not okay. But I think it's it's probably nice to know how much support she's been able to garner over the last 10 years because people genuinely do care about her. Yeah, and I think it's a really tricky conversation to have, but an important one as well. And I wanted to read out actually a passage from Jessica Stein's Instagram in October 2017, because I think if anything, her story about raising Rumi can give us all something to kind of take with us and learn from. So this is what Jessica wrote in 2017. There are so many parts of life that we won't ever be able to understand unless we experience them ourselves, but we can try. I never knew the amount of love, hope, isolation, pain and suffering possible until care and fighting for a chronically ill bub every day. To anyone out there who knows someone going through a tough time but doesn't know what to do or say, so thinks it's best to stay away until the tough times pass, please don't. If you ask what can I do and they don't give clear direction, do what you can anyway. Leave groceries on their doorstep, freeze meals, bring coffee, turn up for a hug and then leave. Watch their kids while they take a shower or a nap. Please don't stop texting even if they don't reply. They probably don't have words to explain. Explain it. Oh, that's a very lovely passage and a really salient reminder. 
my fourth story. Ranking of maths contestants in order of hotness causes crushing upset. That is from juice.com today. Shock. <laughs> did either of you see this when it happened? No. No, I, I watched it later. We did watch it in the office today just before we recorded because so many of our listeners were going wild on social media. If you missed it, there's a bit of a recap on news.com.au from writer James Ware that really sums this up very well. He wrote about how the contestants are participating in what the experts are calling Confession Week. He explained, the first order of business in Confession Week is simple, hot or not. Envelopes containing the headshots of all the grooms and all the brides were distributed to each contestant. The task, each person must rank the contestants of the opposite (laughs) sex in order of who they're most attracted to, all the way down to who they're least attracted to, including their spouse. This could have polarising consequences, expert John Aiken (laughs) admitted. I've got to say... What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you said it. I'm so confused. The thing that confused me the most was why people responded in the way that they did. I sat there and I thought, okay, well, any person with half a brain who is half interested in the person they're saying will just put their wife or their husband right at the top. Yes. Obviously, because why have the conflict, why offend someone by putting them fifth in line? But they all did, which makes me think that for at least some couples, they were told they cannot have their partner anywhere near the top. Because what's the point of this challenge if every single couple goes, I'll put you at the top, hun? I don't know if I agree. I think there are some shit stirrers they've got on this show, like Bryce and like Sam, who are devil incarnate as far as Married at First Sight goes, that want to stir the pot and want to cause controversy. Like, I truly believe the Bryces and Sams of the world world, get off on causing drama and causing conflict and probably making women cry. Like Bryce put his wife, Melissa, fourth in a group of eight or nine and then seemed really shocked when she was upset by that and also acted like someone was holding a gun to his head while he was hooked up to a lie detector test. Like he was kind of like, oh no, like I must put you honestly in the middle of the pack. I just feel like the worst guy in the world. Yes. Like, I just feel like I couldn't feel worse. It's like, well, don't do it then. You literally <laughs> chose. Do it. Like you chose to put her there. And then Sam with his wife Coco. Sam put Coco at fourth on the ladder as well. And when Coco returned the same ranking to him and said, well, you're also number four for me, he said she took a cheap shot at him <laughs> as if there's no way he could be fourth in the hotness ranking when she was. It's literally the strongest stupidest, trashiest shit in the world. And yet I am still on board. The producers have got me hook, line and sinker. And you better believe I will still be watching the next episode, despite how profoundly fucked up it is. Yeah, I got that sense because you kept playing the clips even yeah. after we watched the designated ones and without headphones too. And I had to turn around and be like, you can do that, but put your headphones on. <laughs> Please start working now. My fifth story, Jonah Hill fires back at Daily Mail over shirtless beach pictures. That is from 7 news.com.au. Jonah Hill, the hero of the internet this week, obviously Jonah Hill star of Wolf of Wall Street. What else is he in? Superbad. Was he in Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. yeah. He was the, the sidekick oh my God, he Leo. Was. Yeah. He was that nerdy guy. He, was, he had a not-so-funny character, quite inappropriate character, mm-hmm. I might add. But he posted some photos that were taken of him on Instagram. They were mm-hmm. pap photos. He was surfing in Malibu with his shirt off, and he had this caption underneath it which was really widely shared. He wrote, I don't think I ever took my shirt off in a pool until I was in my mid-30s, even in front of family and friends. Probably would have happened sooner if my childhood insecurities weren't exacerbated 
dominated by years of public mockery about my body by press and interviewers. So the idea that the media tries to play me by stalking me while surfing and printing photos like this and it can't phase me anymore is dope. I'm 37 and finally love and accept myself. I find this interesting because I think there is this idea that because Jonah Hill is so funny and self-deprecating in movies and always plays this sort of like laid back funny guy that there's a sense that people can make fun of him for whatever they want. And I imagine Mm. that's probably what's happened to him over the last few years in Hollywood. And he's suddenly saying, I don't like it. It's really had an impact on my mental health. And luckily I'm in a good place to call it out now. I think it's also that expectation that those who exist in bigger bodies need to make fun of themselves or need to make their bodies the butt of the joke, which is kind of like a disgusting trope that we've perpetuated over decades, I would say. I also think this is a really good reminder, even for me, that the Daily Mail is disgusting, predominantly towards women. I maintain that the paparazzi economy and the way the Daily Mail writes about celebrities often unfairly targets women in a really misogynistic and disgusting way. However, it also does it to men, particularly men of colour, particularly men who exist in fat bodies. And it's just gross for everyone. Like, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to be in the public eye, not have a tiny body and feel like you're constantly being monitored, like constantly having people look for the most unflattering angles of you or catch you, what did they say, like slipping out of a sweatsuit. Even yeah, the headline just... from Daily Mail was so gross. Yeah, they're disgusting. And I think, I mean, we, I reckon we say this every week, but always a good reminder to not click. My sixth story. Yes, my sixth, because this is my favourite clickbait story headline from the week, Zara. What have you got? You asked for it. It's also from Daily Mail because, of course, it is. Sunrise host Samantha Armitage announces big news just two months after a surprise wedding to Richard Lavender. From the Daily Mail with the stand first that read, she tied the knot with Richard Lavender on New Year's Eve just a few weeks ago. And now Samantha Armitage has shared some more exciting news. So what is it? (laughs) You would think that it's either like maybe a pregnancy. I don't even know if Sam Armitage wants kids, by the way. But based on that headline, you would think pregnancy, new house. Yes. Honeymoon. Like maybe she's she's taking time off work to go on a nice honeymoon just weeks after her wedding. Something related to Richard Lavender, right? What is it then? None of that. She's launched a new podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, podcasts are very exciting news. I will always celebrate the launch of a new podcast. I'm just not sure what the marriage has to do with the launch of the new podcast. This was the line. On Thursday, the 44-year-old revealed on Instagram that she will be hosting her very own podcast, Something to Talk About with Samantha Armitage. Sam, good luck with the podcast. Very happy for you. It's a baby of a different kind. Your big big news. We're stoked. I think that's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. This week, Billie Eilish's two-hour and 30-minute-long documentary was released to the masses. Billie Eilish, The World's A Little Blurry, is an astonishingly deep look at the teenage sensation's life. Viewers are welcomed into the bad guys singer's family home, her tours, even, at some stages, the darkest pages of her diary. From Billie's failures to her history-breaking triumphs, the documentary says a lot about teenage superstardom, particularly when it comes to the precarious balancing act of fame and fortune. Mish, I think before we jump into this kind of 
debrief about the documentary that was. A quick disclaimer at the start of this segment, we did do an ad for the Billie Eilish documentary last week. This is a completely different editorial segment that we wanted to do because this documentary is just everywhere this yeah. week. So this is not sponsored. I know that we had that ad. I know people might think, oh, they're talking about it because they've been paid to. Absolutely not. It's really important to Zara and I as writers with journalistic backgrounds that our ad space is our ad space and everything else in a podcast is thoroughly unsponsored. So Apple doesn't even know that we're doing this segment. And while I'm here, let me say this documentary was about 45 minutes too long. <laughs> Just to really prove it. It was. It would have been served well by a condensing of the content covered, particularly the content in the first half that was largely about how she wrote her second studio album and how deeply her brother Phineas was involved in that process as well. However, I watched it with Mitch and Mitch remarked that he actually, while it was slower in the beginning, enjoyed that because it gave him important context to understanding Billy, understanding how she approached fame and understanding how things rose so quickly, meteorically, despite them all being done in her childhood home in her bedroom. Yeah, it's so weird watching this documentary come to life. So it's it's set over the course of 2018, 2019, as they wrote that now award-winning album, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? It tracked touring, Coachella, and then the the awards that came. So it was a couple of years ago and she was young. Like this Mm. was all before she was 18. And I think the first thing that struck me about Billie Eilish in this documentary is how good we are at talking about her age or age in general when someone's experiencing something very young. So someone's experiencing extreme success very young. But we aren't very good at talking about her age in the context of how hard and how weird such extreme success and fame could be. Like Mm. we're just obsessed with age when it comes to success but aren't obsessed with age as much when it comes to fame. And she's the youngest person to win four big Grammy Awards in one year. Mm. Her followers in this period went from 1 million to 16 million. And as we said, this happened all before she turned 18. Yeah, exactly right. And it's interesting in the very, very first few scenes of this doco to see just how young Billie Eilish is. Like she truly comes across in some scenes like a bit of a petulant teenager. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I was the definition of a petulant teenager at times. And if cameras were following me around, I wouldn't have always come across as the warmest, (laughs) kindest human being on the planet. But I'm really happy those scenes where Billy came across as a little bit difficult to get along with or a bit cold to her mum or a bit cold to the director she was working with. I think they were so crucial because they showed just how immature this person is in a totally fair enough way because she's only 16. Yes, and it's terrifying to me. I mean, this might sound like a really well-told point, but I think it's an important one to reiterate anyway. But watching things like this, I think are paramount for our sense of empathy because Mm. especially in this digital age, like celebrities are not made of Teflon. The people behind our screens are people. And that kind of extends to anyone, whether it be a celebrity or just someone you're communicating with online. We are very good at flattening people when we communicate online online. And I think productions like this are the perfect reminder that people are whole and flawed and worry about stuff and struggle with self-esteem. I mean, the prime example of this, this kind of blew my mind. I wonder if you wrote this line down, was when early when Phineas and Billy are writing this crazy good album, like one of the Mm. best, the best album of last year. Mm. And she kind of 
cracks it a bit because she says, I don't want to put it out because I don't sound good and I don't sound good because I'm not very good. And it's fucking weird hearing geniuses talk about their own skill in such a negative way because we see it all in hindsight and see this beautiful production that was put together and think, well, they must have known it was going to be good this whole time. I think as well, we've also seen a lot of musicians have this like unbridled sense of confidence and that has very much been the narrative for so long. Like the Kanye West of the world who own (laughs) that they're a genius. And I'm not taking that away from him. Kanye West is a pioneer in his industry. But that's kind of the rhetoric we've seen, that if you're good in music, you know you're good in music and you've never doubted that you're good in music. Billie Eilish is riddled with self-doubt. And I don't think that's symptomatic of being a teenager. I think that's symptomatic of Billie Eilish, someone who is open about struggling with anxiety, open about struggling with depression, and who doesn't think all that much of herself sometimes. And as much as that makes me desperately sad for Billie Eilish, the person, it also warms me to her because I struggle with the same things. Like I absolutely am riddled with self-doubt as well. So to see someone on an Apple TV documentary saying those things really makes her seem likeable and real. Yeah, there was this point where she got off this Instagram Live and she kind of closed the app and was like, thanks, guys, thanks, everyone, for watching. And then she looked at her phone and she was like, 300,000 people watch that and I have no fucking idea why. Mm. And there was this other really interesting point where Phineas, her older brother, who writes a lot of the songs, almost all of the songs that she sings and they kind of produce them together, was told by the production company that they needed a hit. Like, Mm. you guys need to write a hit. And he was protecting that information from her because she gets so stressed at the thought of writing something mainstream and popular. And I think his quote was something about her terror of making something popular because she's terrified of getting hated and she knows that the more popular something is, the more hate she gets. Mm. And that does speak a lot to age, I think, because I think you'd think with someone of the level of fame of Billie Eilish that the noise would be so loud you almost couldn't hear it, like you couldn't possibly hear it, but she almost didn't want to write a good product because she didn't want it to be so exposing. Yeah, it was weird as well to see her in her Instagram DMs so much as well and noticing like individual comments from different people. It's truly a reminder. I think sometimes we, including me and you in this conversation, Zara, have the tendency to speak about celebrities as if they don't see this stuff. They live these lives that are highly curated, highly beautiful, highly glitzy at all times. And these little moments of seeing a comment that kind of chinks your armor or seeing a DM from a fan that actually isn't happy with your latest single, like that stuff happens. And seeing it happen to someone as huge as Billie Eilish was kind of a reality check to me to be like, Of course. Like, of course she's just the average teenager who would see something online and not like it and be sad. Yeah, because I think we make an assumption that there's a wall between us and them and that somehow that wall protects them, but it doesn't. I mean, she was talking about this one comment that she read. It was after a concert she'd done. She was doing a meet and greet with all these people and she wasn't told by her management that she needed to see as many people as she did and she was a bit pissed off at her management for it because she wanted to kind of decompress after performing. And someone commented on her photo and she would have fucking thousands of comments, but Mm. someone commented saying, my friend met you last night and said you were really rude. Mm. And she had this outburst in this car saying, I can't have one fucking moment. Like I can't have one bad moment where I feel bad because people are watching me. And I can't quite imagine how exposing that would feel like to feel like you can't let your guard down at any point, especially at 17. Mm. Like as you said before, like I was a little shit most of the time. I'm still a little shit. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's not even just I I have plenty and plenty of bad moments now. Mm. I had plenty more at the age of 17. Mm. And the idea that you're worried that people are watching you and they're going to comment that would be 
really overwhelming. Yeah, and the person trying to protect her in that scene was her mother, Maggie Baird. And I do want to have a conversation with you, Zara, about Maggie Baird and Patrick O'Connell, who are Billie Eilish's parents, because I think this documentary has come out at the most interesting juncture. We have just seen the Britney Spears documentary air in Australia. It came out on Tuesday night on Channel 9, if you guys haven't caught it yet. We've just seen this whole dialogue about child stars and how Britney Spears has been exploited and manipulated by her own father, allegedly. And now we're seeing these two parents in Maggie and Patrick absolutely fret over what's going to happen to their little girl. And I think the storyline about Billy's parents was perhaps one of the strongest in the entire documentary because these are two parents who are hell-bent on protecting their daughter from fame and at times having to grapple with the realisation that they can't always protect her, that this is a beast that is far stronger than them sometimes. That storyline or that arc or whatever we want to call it was pretty incredible. They all seem like a very normal family, Mm. all things considered. Like watching her family stress about her getting in a car after getting her licence or just kind of rally around each other all the time was very moving. But I think the most moving scene with Billy's mum for me was when they were talking about Justin Bieber Mm. and her mum was lamenting how Justin has been in this industry for 10 years, often without the support that Billy has now. And she said, it breaks my heart to see him sort of go through the things that he's been through. And she said and noted that he seems really sad. Yeah. The quote that she said about Justin in that scene was, he's just been through so much. I honestly don't know how any artist of any age with this kind of trajectory is doing it without a parent, without someone who loves you more than life itself and would do anything for you. You can't pay someone to do that. And we know it's been well documented that Justin Bieber was a teen star just like Billy is now and his relationship with his dad Jeremy and his mum Patty has been at times toxic and turbulent. I mean, we've even had conversations on this podcast about the parents of Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio on TikTok and how we feel like they thrust them into the spotlight at times when they should be more hell-bent on protecting them. I think it's such an interesting conversation and it's really poignant to see a mum who's experiencing it and living it saying, like, yes, you can have people around you trying to support you. Yes, you can have a team that really loves you and cares about you. But you can't pay for a parent who's going to be there in the moments when you really need them. And what's the dire consequence of not having that person? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings me to my next point now that we're talking about Justin Bieber is I was not expecting him to be the unsung hero of this documentary. I have not seen such a sympathetic portrayal of Justin Bieber in ever, maybe, Mm. actually. And the relationship that Justin and Billy kind of have, which is not one that's particularly close. I think they'd met a handful of times, but the first time they did meet and Billy was like a Justin Bieber stan. I think her mum said that she wanted to take her to therapy when she was younger (laughs) because she was so in love with Justin Bieber. Like that's how concerned they were about how much she loved him. So watching Billy become as famous as Justin Bieber and have people kind of treat her that way, it's just like this weird kind of evolution. Anyway, the message that Justin sent her after they first met was very moving and he FaceTimed her after she won the Grammys and he did an interview about their relationship in the wake of this documentary being released with Apple Music and he said, I definitely feel protective of her. It was hard for me being that young and being in the industry and not knowing where to turn. Everyone telling me they love me and, you know, just turn their back on you in a second. If she ever needs me, I'm going to be here for her. I don't want her to go through anything I went through. I don't wish that on anyone. If she ever needs me, I'm just a call away. 
way. Mm. It's definitely perspective from Justin Bieber that we hadn't heard of and I was just surprised that it was this documentary that we saw it. Yeah, and I've been super critical of Justin Bieber in the past. Like I think he's done some stuff that is pretty shady and pretty shit but in this documentary he came across as a deeply kind person to Billie Eilish at the very least. Like yeah. the stuff he wrote to her, I, I've also really appreciated his self-awareness. In one of the DMs he wrote to her, he said something along the lines of, always remember you're special, but you're not more special than anyone yes. else. And he wasn't sending that, I imagine, with the knowledge that no. it was going to be read out on camera. So that was what was really interesting is like, oh, he's actually got his head screwed on a little bit to know that, yes, have confidence in yourself, but don't feel like your confidence sort of squashes everybody else around you. Yeah. And to have another conversation about Stan's culture and hyper adoring fans, I liked the thread in the documentary that showed that Billy was Justin Bieber's Stan when she was younger, but Billy then met Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry, who were her stands. And it's like this great human leveler to think that even famous people make deities out of random celebrities they've never met. Like we have this propensity to see the people that we deem to be super talented or super attractive or super whatever that makes them alluring. And we all deify them when we know that's silly, even the celebrities who have it happen to them. Yeah, Orlando Bloom is losing it over Billie Eilish and Billie Eilish didn't even know who the fuck Orlando Bloom was, (laughs) which is like one of the best parts about it. I mean, the last thing I want to raise here, Mish, which I think is interesting, we haven't even raised it yet, but it's incredible that Billie Eilish was able to keep a boyfriend under wraps from the media at that Mm. age. And I think, yeah, Annabelle hasn't seen it, so she's just sitting here. (laughs) All the spoilers we're giving to Annabelle right now. That is pretty amazing to me. And I think that says a lot about the team around her desperately trying to protect a teenage love story. So she did date Brandon Quentin Adams, who's a rapper, for about, I'm sensing about a year. Are you getting the same vibe? I got the vibe of between a year and 18 months. Yes. It's not explicitly said, but they aren't together anymore. And what's really interesting about this storyline is it's one of the most relatable storylines I've seen any. And I know we keep saying it's ridiculous because she's so famous, but to see someone like Billy who is experiencing the success that she is chase after a guy who seems completely disinterested, Mm. who doesn't give her what she needs or wants or deserves is so hard to watch because you see it time and time and time again. Yeah, well, you're seeing this incredibly talented, groundbreaking genius of an artist chase after a boyfriend who isn't even on her level to begin with, but even like asking him to spend more time with her, asking him to say, I love you back, like feeling like she's not getting any kind of affection and love and I don't know like comfort or reassurance from him it was like oh my god you could be the most famous woman in the world the most I don't know like dateable incredible person and you could still be in a shitty relationship with a boyfriend who doesn't respect you the way he should exactly I gotta say after watching this Mish the publicity machine of Billie Eilish is one of the most clever I think I've seen in a very long time like they do an incredible job at showing her human side and of reminding us how young she is without shoving it down our throats Mm. and curating her image to such a degree that we feel such intense empathy for her that we feel like, I feel like I know her as a person Mm. rather than as a star. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's something really familiar about Billy 
that I don't feel with many other celebrities and they've done an incredible job of communicating that. Well, we know that Billie takes so much of the creative direction in her own hands with everything she puts out. I mean, everything we see from Billie, from her music videos to her singles, they're all touched by her and Phineas and really nobody else. And I think she's even taken on that kind of task with this documentary, or at the very least, she's been very selective with the directing team that she's brought on board to put it out. I mean, we've seen the Lady Gaga doco, we've seen Homecoming by Beyonce, we saw Miss Americana by Taylor Swift. And as brilliant as all those music documentaries were, we've spoken about multiple of them on the show in the past, Zara. They were so heavily curated and you knew that it was basically a promotional ad, like a 90-minute promotional ad for that star where you were let in sometimes but only 25% of the way and then you were kind of pushed back into your place and given a whole bunch of really glittery montages of that star looking hot. This wasn't that. This was the most raw, the most open, the most candid music documentary we have seen from any star. And I think Billie Eilish is, again, genius for giving that to us because you can't doubt her if you watch this. I don't think many people could walk away from this. I'd be so shocked if they did. If they did and felt like she was manufactured. This is probably the least manufactured star that we've seen. They've just put her in front of us in a way that's smart and and we feel a lot of empathy and it feels very real. I also cried and Mitch was getting teary. I finished it and Mitch and I looked to each other we're like holy fuck yes it could be short up but it is brilliant and if you're gonna watch one musician's documentary I would recommend the Billie Eilish it's doco. also so funny when you know what happens like you know she's won the Grammys and you're like on the edge of your seat being like, <laughs> 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 anyway that is all we have time for today thank you for listening as always we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on Facebook at Shameless Book Club. What else you got? Well, look, come and follow us on Instagram. Come participate in Your Safe Friday. We are loving it at the moment. As soon as I, as the head of social media at Shameless, put up the Your Safe Friday slides on our Instagram stories, everyone in the office runs to their phone to go and participate oh, yeah. in our own polls. I love the polls. It's something incredibly satisfying about it. I'm also very sorry for dividing the listeners about Firefly Lane. For those who uh, missed it, it's 50-50 split. Some people love it some people hate it and I'm firmly in the hate camp a random end tangent if I've ever (laughs) heard one but thank you as always for listening we will be back in your ears on Monday and uh, stay well between now and then stay well bye Annabelle goodbye (laughs) see ya bye hello guys Mish here I am the co-founder of Shameless Media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.